You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. I'll be sharing some bite-sized brain science, thought-provoking questions, and mind-bending ideas about how our brains work, change, learn, and adapt, and how we can use the knowledge emerging from the field of neuroscience to open up new possibilities and make the progress we want in all areas of our lives. Hey there, welcome to today's show. Now, first up, I have a confession to make. I am a reader. I have a serious book problem. And I thought I'd be upfront about this and let you know that reading has provided a lot of my best and most formative experiences. But now, today, more than four decades after it all began, and possibly a little late, some might argue, I'm having to rethink my love affair with reading. Now, you might have heard the phrase, leaders are readers. And leadership issues aside, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that reading is a critical tool for anyone on the road to starting or growing a business. And one of the reasons I decided to talk about it today is that you might well be listening to this thinking about how much you hate reading and wondering if you should just cut your losses and listen to something else. Or you might be someone who loves reading but feel like you just never have the time. These, of course, are beliefs. And as we know, beliefs can be changed because of our natural innate neuroplasticity. So whether you're like me and have never been without a book around you, or you avoid reading as much as possible, stay tuned because things are changing and new doors are opening for us, and it would be a shame to miss the opportunities that await. Now, you've probably noticed that there's a real clash of titans going on these days. Everything that we've known about literature and books and what it means to be a reader has had to face up to the fact that technology is the new kid on the block. I've already mentioned that I've loved books and reading pretty much my whole life. And I've seen this unfolding of new technology gathering speed over the last decade or so. So the question is, are we going to witness a situation where books go the way of the gramophone? The very idea would probably have purist bibliophiles in a frenzy. And does this really have to be a dog-eat-dog situation with readers pitted against technophiles? Or can we accept that there is a marriage to be made between these two great steps forward in human learning? I like to think there is. And like the very best marriages, it's one that is providing subtle and unexpected ways to enhance both sides. Reading maintains an image of a somewhat solitary, antisocial activity. And yes, it can be somewhere that people retire to escape from reality, or indeed somewhere that they can go to cram information. It has the power to reduce us to tears of laughter, joy or sorrow, or of course it can just bore us to tears. Meanwhile, technology has come to occupy the space that reading held for my older relatives when I was a child, and parents worry constantly about the damage that technology is doing to our kids. Now, I have absolutely no intention of weighing in on that. I don't have even remotely enough information to be able to offer an educated view on it. But things are changing so quickly, and the type of technology and the availability of it is moving very, very rapidly. And I think it'll be a while before we can really say what the full impact of this will be on future generations. But reading is evolving too, and last time I checked, reading was considered okay and not actually a damaging overindulgence, as I was told in my youth. And whether or not you enjoy the beauty of language for its own sake, or value books for the way they allow us to access concepts and ideas, reading is no longer actually just a solitary sport. As we enter the age of the entrepreneur, reading has moved on, and purists may find that they will miss out unless they are open to moving with the times. Reading has always been, to my mind, an activity that ignites my play ethic far more than my work ethic. 
I was a very early reader and this sense that reading was an enjoyable activity may well have been reinforced by the fact that certain members of my family (laughs) thought my love of reading was a way to avoid real physical work. To be fair, they were of an older generation who'd been schooled in a rather brutal fashion and any potential love of books and book learning was pretty much beaten out of them at an early age. More's the pity. Imagine what they could have achieved. And this is a pity that continues even now as children are set on academic tracks far too advanced for them at too early a developmental stage. I'm going to try and stay off that particular soapbox today, but please forgive me if it does crop up occasionally. But what I must say is that this has had an impact on many people over the years and the information that's been available to readers for many years gave them an edge. And that has probably been the fuel beneath the general obsession with academic success. Being academic meant you had knowledge. And that was equated with having power. But of course, we know that's not strictly true, right? You can have all the knowledge you want, but unless you do something with it, it means nothing whatsoever. Knowledge is only potential power. It requires action to make it into anything more than memorised data. This is slightly off topic, but I'm reminded of a funny thing that happened to me one day at a coaching event. Coaches, as you might know, totally obsess over honing their craft. And at one of the regular events that I attend to do just that, I was paired with this very charismatic African coach. Now, this was like the coaching equivalent of speed dating. And I have to confess, I don't remember her name, but I will probably never forget what she said to me. She said, you must ask yourself three questions. Are you able? Are you ready? Are you willing? And in any field of life, these questions are valid, but rarely more so than when we make the decision to start a business. And those three questions reminded me of the point where we convert knowledge into action and thereby the power to make change for ourselves and others. So the first of those three memorable questions, are we able to do this? Do we have the skills required or the ability to learn them? And do we have the inner resources to see that through? And then the second question, are we ready? Have we looked at what this commitment means and are we in a good frame of mind for it, a place where there isn't any more hesitation? And to be fair, that's a lot harder than it sounds for many of us. Quite often things like procrastination, overwhelm or lack of self-belief keep us from hitting that feeling of being ready. And the thing is, it's hard to know what ready feels like in a way. I remember being at a grading for Kendo and one of the guys in my club just looked at me and said, I'm ready. I couldn't really understand how he knew that, but clearly he was ready. He passed and I didn't. But these days I'm much more aware of what ready feels like. It's a good place to be, but ready isn't up and running, is it? And so finally we come to the crunch. Are we willing? Willing to do the work, to put in the time, to break down the mental blocks. Willing to be the one who faces our fears and takes the risks and puts all that knowledge that we've spent a lifetime gathering to good use. It's this last one that really carries the kick, isn't it? Vince Lombardi Jr. And As far as I know, he's something to do with American football. (laughs) He's quoted as saying the difference between a successful person and others is not a lack of strength, not a lack of knowledge, but rather a lack in will. And this is so worthy of note. If we're able and ready, what's holding us back? We might answer by saying that we don't have the time and we don't have the money and we don't have the qualifications, etc, etc. But really, is that it? Are those the things that are really getting in the way or are we letting them get in the way because we're not willing? If we were in fact willing, would we demonstrate that by looking for a way to make some changes to our current circumstances? Would we be trying to move ourselves a step closer to removing the blocks we face every day? And many of the blocks are habits. They're habitual beliefs that are just bedded into our neural networks, believe it or not. And hey, it's Deirdre's favourite word again, neuroplasticity. We can change those, as you may have heard in previous episodes, with this magic thing called neuroplasticity. 
But let's get back to the topic of reading again, because reading is a great way to keep us moving towards our goals. It gives us a way to keep the things that we're interested in front of mind as we navigate our way through phases of life where other things rightly take priority. There are times when we'd be pushing water uphill to dive into a new business. And trust me, I know this from experience, (laughs) but we can still keep moving forward by tending that idea, that interest and keeping that fire burning. And with the great accessibility across platforms now, it becomes even easier to tap into the wealth of knowledge available, even if we're pushed for time or don't consider ourselves bookish types or readers. I mentioned the obsession with academia and formal education earlier. It's the place where many people learned to loathe reading. You know, I've never known my dad to read a single book. He read the county papers every week and technical manuals for his work, but reading was purely a functional thing for him. It never got him excited and I don't think he ever enjoyed it. But then again, I'm pretty sure that's the result of his education. Fortunately, the field is being changed and expanded. We aren't confined to silent libraries and the printed word anymore. The options available to us to absorb the work and research of thought leaders and innovators has improved with technology. Audiobooks and recordings aren't new. I mean, Earl Nightingale's recordings from the 1960s are still widely available, and they still serve as a jumping off point for many pursuing a self-development path. Of course, his original work was recorded on vinyl. But these days, anyone with access to the internet and a mobile device can listen to it anywhere, anytime. But it's not just the transition from the printed word to analogue sound to digital availability. The way we can interact with material has changed. For instance, I regularly listen to an audiobook as I'm out walking or driving or perhaps cooking the dinner. I can insert clips and notes if I wish. However, I also like to have a PDF copy of the book to make more detailed notes with. And I'm waiting for the day that Audible and Otter AI will have a baby so that I can make voice notes as my clips. But that's not the only way that my reading has changed. And this next bit is a funny mix of very old school and very contemporary. And COVID has for sure played a part in its development. In the before times, that is, in the pre-pandemic world, I facilitated a reading group and we would meet each week in various coffee houses to discuss the material that we covered. And in many ways, this approach really hadn't moved on much since the coffee houses of the 17th and 18th centuries that had fostered the ideas of the Enlightenment. So here we were, working in much the same fashion as those coming together to share ideas and spark creative thought had done for several hundred years. And then, of course, we couldn't. It was that bizarre time, you know, there was a mixture of hysteria and denial in the air. Well, I guess those things are always there to an extent, but the extremes of the scale had been ramped up for sure. People were stockpiling stuff, cities emptied, everyone moved their lives online. And all of a sudden, meeting in a coffee shop to discuss plans and ideas that we developed in the course of our reading went from being the most natural thing in the world to an impossibility. It went from being mundane to exotic. It went from being the default option to being illegal overnight. As much as the world went into lockdown, humanity en masse once again displayed its ability to adapt and change when it deems it necessary. And so my Zoom account, I had one before lockdown, (laughs) it got repurposed yet again. Honestly, there's no shortage of variety on my Zoom account. It's had everything from international coaching sessions and trainings to kendo and Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) It really does have quite the CV. However, we're here to talk about the evolution of reading and how that's affected my lifelong passion for books. I have to admit, whenever Kindle and ebooks came along, I was pretty much nonplussed. It just didn't really do it for me. Nothing to do with preferring paper versions or anything like that. I love using technology, so it's not like I'm a hardcore pen and paper only type. 
but I found the Kindle and it's like lacking. Now, I know people who swear by them, and I guess that's one of the things that I'm getting to. Technology has made reading more flexible and it's made it more accessible in much the same way as the printing press did for information back in the day. Now, let's move a step forwards from the Kindle and so on. I tend to use Apple products because that's what I started with in art college. And having done a lot of image-led creative work over the years, the Mac was my go-to. So because they did such a good job of building an ecosystem of products, an iPad and an iPhone were added to that somewhere along the line. And I only ever read a couple of books in that format because I just didn't really like it. No real reason that I could discern until I discovered the Remarkable 2 tablet. Now this I could get into because I like making notes on the PDF books. I'm not precious about non-fiction books. As far as I'm concerned, they're textbooks and they're made to be annotated. Uh, I wouldn't really be that impressed if you did that to my fiction collection though. But that's not the only new tool I've picked up over the last while. Um, I've mentioned audiobooks. I do like listening to those. And that allows me to absorb books on the move. Though I think there are still a few things that would make that better, like being able to dictate notes to add to bookmarks. And other than that, it is also a great way to stack habits. I get plenty of walking done every day and a good hour's reading or listening, if you want to be pedantic about it, while I'm at it. It ticks a lot of boxes. And now I've also started using um, Blinkist, which is like a little summary service. And I don't really see that as an alternative to reading. It's kind of like you know, if the week did j dust jackets for books, it covers the key points, but it's literally a flyby. So it's maybe about 15 minutes or so. That being said, I still like it because I can use it as a vetting process. So books that are on my radar can be scanned quite quickly. And then I can decide if I want to listen to the unabridged version or get the hard copy. As an unabridged version of a nonfiction book takes about eight hours, I think, you know, 15 minutes of a summary is probably a well spent time because I don't really want to invest time in something that's either a repetition of other things that I've read or lacking in some way. So those are my current solo reading tools, hard copies, audio copies, digital copies and summaries. It might seem like a lot of ways to take in the same information, but I see it as a suite of tools to filter and digest some key information and research. So it's probably obvious that I spend a lot of time reading. I dread to think what my gran would say, but at least I could point her to my walk and listen type reading and reassure her that I'm just not staying indoors being unhealthy all the time. And here's the interesting bit. This is where reading starts to shed the solo sport image. One of my favorite ways to read is dynamic group reading. Now, I'm not sure how many people do this. It's not like a book club. I've, I've experimented with that style of reading and you know, come along with your homework done and then we'll chat about it. To be honest, I don't really like that. It feels disjointed. So in my groups, we actually go through the text line by line and have some pretty amazing discussions as we do so. It's a classic multi-perspective approach. I bring my views and experience to the interpretation, but so does everyone else present. So we have a truly unique reading of the text. One book that I've read many times is Think and Grow Rich, and it's been great to do that with groups. First time with a group is always a good experience, but then subsequent readings reveal new understandings and more subtle interpretations, as well as the ahas that were missed the last time around. In addition, reading with people from different backgrounds shows up other things. For instance, I obviously read from my Irish rural upbringing entrepreneurial perspective, but one of my co-readers will read it from an American urban perspective or an Asian perspective. And this is such a privilege of our time to be able to team up with virtual strangers from around the globe to broaden our horizons. I've probably said this before, but it is worth saying again. This is one of the things that, for me at least, developed in the necessity of the pandemic, but I am not giving this one back. It is a keeper. 
The depth and detail of perspective that I've got from reading this way has opened my eyes to so many possibilities. I mean, I'm relatively smart, but by reading with other smart creative thinkers, I get to multiply my own insights by the power of their insights. And the 30-30-30 principle kicks in when we sometimes bring those insights together to create a completely new one that we might never have reached alone. You know, I get it. I totally understand why people might not find reading attractive. And as I've maybe mentioned, I've read some pretty dry and dusty books, but they totally come to life in a dynamic group reading. Honestly, it's like nothing I've ever experienced before because it's less like study methods that might have put us off reading at an earlier stage in our lives and more of a voyage of discovery and an insight into how we read something and how that stacks up against how a group of peers sees it. Then it's a whole lot more fun than just cramming information because we think we should. There's a quote that's attributed variously to Plato, W.B. Yeats and probably a few others and says in its essence that education is not the filling of a pail but the lighting of a fire. And I honestly believe that this way of reading is much more like the latter. Now, Michael Hyatt, who writes about leadership and productivity, apparently said that he doesn't really read to retain information, but to spend time with smart people. And I think this is such a great way of looking at it. We get to follow their logic around some interesting curves and to let go of the notion that we're reading to pass a test of some kind. Personally, reading is still so much a form of play to me that the less I worry about that kind of thing, the better, because play in itself is a great way to learn. When I'm reading, I like to build out a three-dimensional jigsaw of concepts and ideas that I'm working on. Somehow, my reading tends to form suites of books. In fact, of all the books I've been reading this year, only a couple don't really fit into the current suite of reading. I'll put a, a list in, in the show notes to illustrate what I mean about the, the suite of concepts. I'm always quoting Walt Whitman's line, all truths wait in all things. And I find this time and time again when reading a suite of books, different authors, scientists and researchers come at a topic from their own unique perspectives. And sometimes they come at different topics which overlap with other work. For instance, in my reading of them at least, Angela Duckworth's grit complements Cal Newport's deep work, which complements Greg McKeown's essentialism. And these in turn link to Gary Klein's Seeing What Others Don't, which complements Maria Konnikova's The Biggest Bluff and so on. The more time I spend with these smart people, the more I can tease out my own jigsaw of ideas and ponderings. And of course, all of these solo readings feed into what I bring to the dynamic readings too, as does what I'm learning every week about neuroscience. Leaders are readers, they say. And I can see how that works. It's like we can skip to the end of a lot of work that some amazing people have done just to get to their findings. It's like gold dust. I mean, for goodness sake, they've taken years to get to this research and we can digest the important bits in a variety of convenient ways. And teachers like Jim Quick, whose early education was hampered by a brain injury, have shown us that no matter where we are in life, it's possible to improve reading skills and our beliefs about reading that might have taken a bashing in our early years. So I suppose this is my conclusion. Our beliefs about what reading is or can be shouldn't hold us back. Reading is like finding a fountain of ideas and concepts that we can drink from. And these ideas give us information and insights that we can apply to our own lives and businesses if we so choose. And I haven't really even talked about fiction in this episode. But if I'm honest, I don't really do fiction these days. I'm too hooked on the ideas and concepts that are based on science and fact and philosophy. And the other key point from this episode is that we're in a golden age of accessibility. Whatever your preferred way to take in information, there's a match for it. You no longer have to stick your head in a book. We've moved on. Of course, you don't have to tie all the ways together like I do either. 
And actually, that's a good point. I'll put a link in the notes to the VARC questionnaire, which may give you some insights into your learning style if you haven't already investigated that. Now, as adults, most of us will have learned to compensate over time to accommodate multiple learning styles, but we may still have one that's easier for us. And there's no medal for making it harder for yourself than it has to be. So I'd recommend that you check this out. Despite my use of audiobooks, for example, I'm not primarily an auditory style learner. And for me, this also shows up in social communication. I hate phone calls, for instance, and I much prefer video calls, despite my initial reservations and mild discomfort with the process. But if there was one thing that I'd encourage you to try, it's the dynamic group reading. And I'll tell you what, if you want to try that, drop me a line and I'll make it happen. All right, I think that is everything for today. As usual, all the notes will be in the show notes and the links and so on. And click in and connect and let me know what you've thought about this. All right. Thank you very much for listening. See you next time. You've been listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, your weekly source for brain science tools, tips and techniques. Thanks for taking the time to tune in. It's why I want to make sure that every single episode contains game changers with the potential to elevate your performance and enjoyment to the next level in all areas of life. If you want to catch up between shows, check the show notes for my links. Meanwhile, if you hit subscribe right now, you'll always be first to hear when the next episode is available. Until then, my friend, imagine the possibilities. Oh,